Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well out there right now. Matt Guy here. How are we all doing? Willie's all wonderful. Willie's Wonderland, hello. <laughs> what a start. Which was, which was actually the cut, a tagline which was cut from the promotional poster. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> So, fellas, have we calmed down from last week with Paul Clayton? I mean, what an episode that was. Such great fun, such great insight. My pants have only just stuck dried from how <laughs> I wet myself with excitement. And then he was actually on and he was in the waiting room. And like, so we, we recorded that on Zoom, which we don't normally do. And on Zoom, you have to let somebody into the waiting room if you've not used the software. And he only fucking appeared in the waiting room. And I was like, listen, lads, Paul Clayton's in the waiting room. And then... Shit got real. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been on Fancast for what six, seven years, and we've met Jack Price and footballers and whatever. But in all that time, that episode was probably the best thing we've ever done. <laughs> he was just yeah. great. Where he was just one, he was just one of the lads. He just came had a great old time. Spent way longer than I expected him to stay for, <laughs> um, and he seemed to love it. So what? You just it's lost for words, completely lost for words. He was great. Yeah. I mean that was the reason why I thought if we split the recording, which is why when you listen back, he's only on the second half of the podcast. I thought, well, we'll do our normal general chit chat and we'll get him in because we won't want to keep him here all night. He's not interested in us, surely. And then like two hours later, he's still regaling us with stories. What an absolute legend. Just thoroughly loved it. But anyway, we're here this week to discuss Willy's Wonderland and what a film we're here to discuss. Preconceptions about the movies, gents. What are we thinking? I mean, obviously, the film title, Willy's Wonderland, anything with Willy in is just going to make me laugh like a child. <laughs> yeah, it immediately appeals to the idiot inside of me. <laughs> Do we... Quick sidebar. Does Willy mean the same thing in... America than it does here, do you think? No, it doesn't. So they don't see Willy Wonderlanders because there's a line in the film that I wanted to mention when we get into it. I wonder if this was intentional or not. Um, but maybe we'll come on to it a little later on. Well, they did change the name of the film because it was originally Wally's Wonderland. So I don't know why they changed it to Willy. And I've not been able to find a reason for Well, the only thing I why. can think of is the phrase, it gives you the willies. That that you know that's a thing, mm. isn't it? That that's like you know if something gives you the willies, it scares you, I guess. So maybe that can be the only thing I can think of. I mean, yeah, but go on. That's a phrase here. It, it's not a phrase in America, is it not? I've I've never heard any American program ever, <laughs> even like I Love Lucy and stuff like that, where you'd expect it to be said in the fifties, where <laughs> they say, "Oh." I've got the willies. <laughs> it seems a very British thing to say. Okay, and... I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was an American thing. Because if you re- remember when the um, is it Naked Gun? Is it Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third? Where they go through with the 
when they're going through the tunnel, is it the first one? And um, when he's in bed and they show all the different like rockets going up in the sky and trains entering tunnels and they go through a whole list of words for cock and Johnson and, <laughs> and schlong and stuff like this. <laughs> I can't remember will he even been in that list. Mm-hmm. I know it's been a long time since I watched it, but I think they know it's an international audience and they know here, especially, it's going to get a laugh. But I don't think it's... Because you see people call Willie in America all the time, don't you? In redneck country. So I, d- I generally don't think... I mean, correct us if we're wrong on this, but I don't think it is a thing in America. Hmm. Fair enough. Mm, I'd be interested to know. Um, so the poster, I thought, was quite an interesting an image. So the poster looks like it's it's a distressed picture. And then you've got Cage front and center wearing a cartoon character t-shirt with a group of kids behind him and then seven animatronic characters above all covered in blood. I mean it just immediately it's just a striking image and it evokes that 80s sensibility. I don't know if it is maybe it's the bright neon colors of the characters that are in it. And the fact that it looks distressed, so it looks like it's been through the mill. Maybe it's it's coming from the past almost. So that that was my preconception of the movie from from those images was that it's going to be arcing back to something of a, a bygone era almost. Mm. I mean, this was one of the we couldn't really escape seeing it because it was all over our Twitter and you know, especially on the Cage Fighting Twitter account. Obviously, we we, we follow. A, a lot of the other fantastic cage podcasts as well. So we've retweeted and everything else and, you know, signature entertainment follow us and we followed them. So we've seen a lot of stuff through that as well. Um, and from what I'd seen in the trailer, I'd seen from the film, it just looked like a bloody good romp mm. in both sense of the words, I guess. Stu, what did you think of the trailer? Did you watch it this time pre or post the film? Yeah, I got it sent to me. Um, before I think I was was I one of the first. I think this one might have been the first time I posted a trailer in the group chat about it because I think someone sent it to me, and I just thought, oh, okay, it's a teaser, and I put it on. I thought, well, this is just Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> this is going to be superb. <laughs> this is exactly what we need. And it, I saw the poster afterwards, and it reminded me that there's a whole thing on YouTube about finding like lost film props and what they look like now. Mm. And there's like things like from Labyrinth that are like the puppets from Labyrinth that are just destroyed and look like shit. That, well, look like the poster. And I thought, yeah, well, they've got this spot on because this is exactly how these things have aged. And I, thought, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to watch it. <laughs> I thought with the trailer, I was I got I was a little bit apprehensive because it looked so good, but then so did Jiu-Jitsu. Mm, <laughs> like we've been burnt by this before, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. Double J, like, off, he promised us something great and he just delivered an absolute shit show. So I was like, I, I want to just dive in and love this regardless. But that was always at the back of my mind. What's the phrase? Once bitten, twice shy. Or was it yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so I had a look to see the director to see if there's anything I could tell about um, his previous work. But much like last time out for Inconceivable, I hadn't even heard of the director. Um, and similar to Inconceivable, he's a director with not a lot of credits to his name. Between 1996 and 2007, Kevin Lewis had only directed seven films. The Method, Andrew Jackson, White Elk, Downward Angel, uh, Malibu Spring Break, Dark Heart, The Drop and The Third Nail. 
and then nothing for 14 years until this movie. And like all of those films, they range from a 2.2 to a 5.0 on IMDb. I've got to admit, that really worried me going into this. I thought, is this just going to be some fly-by-night in it to make a quick book sort of uh, dealio? But the production company is Madman Films. And the last time Cage worked with Madman Films was for Mom and Dad. So that did sort of make me think, okay, cool. And I think that'll be a running theme throughout this, to be honest. Um, harking towards Mom and Dad, because there was very, very, there was some, whilst not in plot, there was some very big similarities between the two. So IMDb describes this film as a quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of demonic animatronics. Fists fly, kicks lands, titans clash, and only one side will make it out alive. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. (laughs) Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me. Enjoy a man a few words. So the film begins with a couple crying and cowering, awaiting their fate. Monsters attack from the shadows. The woman runs. She sees her child hiding. She smiles and then is taken by something. We don't know what. Cut to a Chevrolet Camaro roaring around quiet country roads before bang. All of a sudden, all of the tyres explode. Out steps a leather-clad, biker-booted, badass Nick Cage. He sees the police bikes that he's just rolled over. Annoyed, he packs them up in the Chevy, grabs a can of punch and awaits for the repair truck. The mechanic comes to pick up Cage, tells him that kids stole these police spikes and the sheriff's from the sheriff's truck, uh, and they must have played a prank. The mechanic is driving him to the nearest town, Hayesville, home of Willie's Wonderland. The film cuts to a young woman dousing Willie's Wonderland with gasoline, and just before she sets it alight, up rolls the sheriff and places her in the back seat of her car. Rather than taking the girl to the station, she takes her to a trailer. And, her handcuffs, and handcuffs her to a radiator. But not before the sheriff and the girl see the mechanic and Cage pull through. The mechanic stops to talk to the sheriff, 
whilst the girl and Cage make deep, meaningful eye contact. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was worried that this seemingly 18, 19-year-old girl and this 60-something Nick Cage were lining up some sexy relations. It was a little bit too intense that uh, that eye contact for me. I thought mm, you thought you thought she, you thought she was that old because I thought she looked about sixteen, and him with his incredibly neat beard as well. It's got to be said, almost yep. too neat, like he was drawn on. Well, um, it's my note. Weird thick chin strap was my first note. <laughs> <laughs> I it had um, almost. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Like, like, like vibes like the film Machete, in that he doesn't, he, he never said anything, but gives off his ear like this aura that he just wants to have sex with everybody, and that's what kind of like, <laughs> like what Nick Cage the vibes he was giving off. <laughs> when Cage gets to the mechanic's garage, Cage spies a whole bunch of missing posters. All seemingly have been there for different lengths of time. Some look like they've been there for possibly years. Some look like they've been there for maybe days. Uh, The mechanic tells Cage that it's going to cost him about a grand to fix his car. Cage offers him his credit card, only to be told no plastic. And the only cash point is broken. Apparently in Hayesville, there is no internet access. The mechanic offers Cage the option of working off his debt as he, quote unquote, knows a guy. (laughs) They go to see Tex. He owns Willy's Wonderland and he needs a janitor to clean up the place. If Cage works all night, Tex will pay for repairs of the car. Cage agrees. I would love a job that pays me a grand for a night's worth of work. I assumed this was like set in Japan and this was yen or something because I (laughs) I was like, I couldn't believe First of all, again, because I work in the vehicular recovery business, I know that a tow and four tires does not cost a thousand dollars. A point A, and B, um, yeah, a grand's worth of work for one night. Fucking bring it on! Don't care what I'm doing, who I've got to touch. I'm earning that money. <laughs> he did. Um, he did caveat with, "You have to take breaks," and yeah. take breaks he does. Oh, we make sure he does. Yeah. <laughs> Tex takes Cage inside and plays in the video of what life at Willie's used to be like. That goddamn song. It's your birthday and we want you to have fun. It's your birthday, <laughs> so let's party, everyone. This video introduces us to Willie the Weasel, Artie the Alligator, Siren Sarah, Carrie the Chameleon, Gus Gorilla, Nighty Night, Ozzy the Ostrich and Tito the Turtle a group of animatronic characters who would sing and dance for the kids who would come to Willy's Wonderland. So that's us at the 12-minute mark of the film. What do we think of the opening salvo? I enjoyed it. I think um, it set it up pretty much straight away. You know exactly what to expect from this film, basically. Um, I I don't think you mentioned it at this point, but when when the the rest of the kids get involved... um, you know exactly what's going to happen straight away, but that's absolutely okay. You know this isn't going to be challenging you or stimulating you intellectually, but it's going to hit certain tropes that it's taken from other films and it's going to do it and throw it in your face very quickly. And I, I enjoyed the opening. I don't think it tried to make itself out to be anything more than a violent romp, exactly like Mum and Dad did. Yeah, it, it knew exactly what it was doing. I mean, he's... We've already mentioned his his sinister, sultry looks. He's not saying a single word. He's um, that kind of 
smouldering skull that he's got for every, every situation and everyone he speaks to. Um, but yeah, when it, like when he said all, all your stuffs in the in the cupboard, um, take your breaks, and then you look at the, the state of them. them well, they say creatures, but they're they're robots, are they really? But it it was better than I expected. Looking at the trailer and the poster at this point, mm. I thought there's no way they're going to spend actual money on this. I mean, they probably did anyway. But it it looked like it's going to kick off and it's going to be class. Yeah, absolutely. It it got the straight into the story. There was no pissing around. There was no just tootling along, a bit like inconceivable, took a while really to get anything going. This was just straight in there. There was no, yeah, there, there wasn't a wasted line of dialogue. The whole film really is just A to B, just like straight the way through. I appreciated that because we know it's an, a sub 90 minute film. Don't piss around, just get on with the story. And that's exactly what it did. Gave me what I wanted. Perfect. Text takes Cage then further in to actually face-to-face with the animatronics. Tex tells... Yeah, that is so awkward. Tex tells Cage that the kids were crawling all over the robots and they ended up hurting themselves, their parents sued, so the restaurant got shut down. As Cage turns to walk away, we see Willie move. Cage spins around, Willie stops. Tex leaves padlocking Cage inside, so we know shit is about to go down. <laughs> Tex goes to light up a stogie in celebration, but the lighter doesn't work, so he just yeets it next to the bin. Back at the trailer, the young lady's friends arrive. We find out that her name is Liv. They break her out, the six of them then leave and head off to finish what she started and burn down Willy's Wonderland. Back in Willy's Wonderland, Cage is working hard, scrubbing, mopping, sweeping. Cage fills up the fridge with his cans of punch and gets to work on cleaning the kitchen. His alarm on his watch goes off, it's break time. He has a can of punch and uncovers a pinball machine. Back to work while sweeping the floors, the lights turn themselves on and Ozzy the ostrich awakens. Telling Cage, I'm going to feast on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy manages to scratch Cage on the cheek before Cage goes crazy, beating the animatronic to death with the broom handle and then pulling out its spinal cord. What did you think of uh, our first actual interaction with one of the uh, creatures, shall we say? It was just, again, the pacing of it was just, let's not fuck about with this, let's just go for it straight away. And I appreciated that, to be fair. There wasn't any... There wasn't any explaining, and I know I know we get a bit of context and a bit of why what is going on is going on, but like it just it was just like listen, you know exactly what you're here to watch. Let's just let's skip the foreplay, let's go straight a la carte. We're going we're going head first in, and that's exactly what it gives us. It just goes takes us straight into what we're what we're there to see, basically violence and animatronics. Yeah, it was you know <laughs> massive Power Rangers vibes at this point <laughs> when you saw when, <laughs> when you saw it close up and he was punching the punching the living daylights out of it and then when he was getting all that black ooze all over himself, but then when he goes go on to it and then when he goes to the yeah uh, to the cupboard to get a fresh t shirt after every kill, <laughs> superb. I did like that touch. I don't know what it was, but it just it just made me chuckle every time he was like. Okay, I'm covered in this black blood. Washes himself down, 
fresh t-shirt. I, I don't know what it was. I just thought it was really nicely done. At the same time, the sheriff and her deputy are sat, hoping that their red phone does not ring. Cage puts some duct tape over his scratch and puts the ostrich in the bin and discovers that he has been padlocked in. Break time. Punch and pinball. (laughs) He's now off to clean the Johns after his break has finished. After spending what appears to be hours cleaning the bathroom, Cage hears a noise from the outside. The robots have been activated again. Cage gets directed back to the bathroom as he hears something happen just in there. He goes into the toilets and someone has scrawled in what appears to be blood on the mirrors. Then that person challenges Cage to hide and seek, closing all of the bathroom stalls. Cage goes to open each one of them until the very last one, when Gus Gorilla comes out and attacks him. Cage fights him back with a plunger, then makes Gus bite onto the urinal as he curb stomps his face in. The toilet is a mess once again. I loved that scene. I don't know what it was. It just really tickled me. It might be because of like such a violent action. Of Obviously, we've all seen uh, American History X where he makes him bite the curb and then does the curb stomp. But to do it on a massive animatronic gorilla in a shitty toilet, I don't know what it was. It just really tickled me. The thing that got me was when the gorilla beats his chest as he goes back into the toilet. <laughs> right into the, and I just thought, like, he was just a, like a, a funny little touch that in some bizarre roundabout way, these animatronics still have some of the programming that makes them the animal that they're trying to be. It was just, it was it was just fun. It was nicely done. And I've got a massive, like, it, anytime I play Mario Kart, I'm always Donkey Kong. If I can be, so this was just like that. It was it was great to see this massive murderous gorilla beast. You know, this is a, this needs to be explored more. But why would you ever just pick Donkey Kong for? He's the coolest, isn't he? He's the best. Not the banana- to Mario. Nah, and the bananas. You know, they're the most useful. You just chuck them behind you when you're in front. And everyone slides around. But you got to remember any character. Well, you got to remember, Stewie, is I haven't played Mario Kart since Double Dash. So I, there might be a plethora of more interesting characters by now. You need to buy a Switch, that's what you're saying. Well, you haven't found me a Series X yet, so yeah, I might do. <laughs> <laughs> After this, it is break time once again. Punch, pinball. The youngsters now rock up. They restart applying the gasoline outside. Before they set it alight, though, Liv refuses to uh, allow them to do it without getting Cage out of there first. After he ignores her calls, she goes in to get him. As she's crawling through the air ducts, she soon realises that Artie the Alligator is chasing her. She manages to get away just in time. She's now trapped inside. Siren Sarah torments her. I don't know what it was about Siren Sarah. It might be the fact that she was the only of the animatronics that wasn't based on an animal. She was the only humanoid figure. But I found her probably like the most scary looking of all of them. Mm. I thought you were going to say attractive then. Well, <laughs> well, but was the... Lockdown gets to us in different ways. Um, the bit with the crocodile in the vent, was that stop motion? Because it looked it looked different to me to everything else for a split second. 
I'd never noticed, to be honest. I just assumed it was a guy in a suit. Yeah, because when it comes, it, it's it almost like it, it moves. I mean, it might have just been the uh, the frame jumping, but it, it just looked weird. It looked different to some reason. I thought, well, if they're throwing a bit of stop motion for a laugh, then fine. <laughs> Good on you. But I, I don't know. It might have just been my copy. But it, it definitely seemed strange. Hmm, I'll have to check that out again. I just assumed it was like a sped up version just to sort of ramp up the tension of her being chased with the air ducts. Yeah, it might, it might but, have been. I mean, that, that explains the, the weird effect as well. Mm. It's, it's not really... You don't see it it's sped up any other time in the film, do you? So, No, no, that's true. In relation to the um, into the siren, there was definite... Well, the whole thing, actually, Firefly Funhouse... Current, I don't know if you're watching the current products, but Alexa Bliss is very much doing a fiend-like performance at the moment, and it had those vibes about okay. it as well. Um, really, really entertaining, and like the Firefly Funhouse, I will will presumably have been prior to all of this. Whether it took any inspiration, I don't know. But that whole like um, children's play world, but there's like obviously a demonic or evil like spirit lurking around there. It works really well there. It works really well in this. Mm, yeah. Uh, so Liv and Cage then bump into each other. Cage once again ignores her pleas to leave. The remaining teens fall through the ceiling. Everybody is trapped inside now. Liv explains to Cage that Tex and the mechanic have lured countless others to their deaths, getting them to clean up Wonderland before being attacked inside. We get the backstory on the site. The previous manager was a convicted serial killer. He hired similar sickos who would kill the kids and families who would go there for their parties. When the police cottoned on to them, they performed a satanic ritual, transferring their souls into that of the animatronics. Whilst telling the story, the two teens who were in the couple snuck off into a different room to get some alone time. They start getting frisky in a room away from the rest of them. The rest are faced with Willie the Weasel singing a really creepy rendition of a song about six little chickens at the (laughs) end of the line. I really thought this was like one of the creepiest things in the film. It properly evoked the um, wondrous boat ride from Willy Wonka. Mm. I don't know what it was about it, but as soon as I heard that, that was immediately what came to mind. The There's no earthly way of knowing that one. Excellent. That um, Uh, just to, Sorry, mate. Um, I only watched that. On, I only watched that on Saturday. Willy Wonka, that is. Um, and it, that scene with the boat ride is so haunting in comparison to the innocence and beauty and colour of the rest of the film. I would have loved to have be teleported back to when that film was released, but not have the desensitised mindset that I have now, and just feel what that must have been like at the time for people watching it, like an acid trip or an LSD trip. Yeah, I remember once I had the first Marilyn Manson album, um, Shitty Chicken Gangbang, it's called. And one of the tracks on it is that um, wondrous boat ride. Mm-hmm. But it's done, obviously, because it's Marilyn Manson. It's even darker and more sickly, densely mm-hmm. layered and horrible. And I I fell asleep at the start of the album and that song woke me up and it was the creepiest part. <laughs> like my dreams were horrendous. I was like, okay, that's uh, it's definitely not one to listen to yeah, again. It's funny because Pendulum do a song as well with that whole sample at the start of the song. 
So I was kind of singing along to um, Gene Wilder doing it. And Sam looked at me and she was like, how the hell do you know this? Like, you like know too much about film when she hasn't a clue. And it was just, I just love that Pendulum album. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to 2021 without seeing that film. No, no, no. I've seen it tons of times before. It's just that we needed like a Saturday oh, after we needed a Saturday afternoon film, and we were just flicking through Netflix, and we were like, "What should we watch?" Oh, Willy Wonka. I haven't seen that for a while. I've, uh, when was the last time you saw it? And she was like, oh, "I haven't seen it for ages." Bang! Right, it's going on. Because all I was just getting the loop. Let's not... say she don't fancy watching uh, Burnley versus Albion then. Mm, no, no, believe God. it. Now I watched that, and I really wish I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, I think I'd rather sit through Left Behind again, to be honest. Anyway, um, then from behind, one of the kids gets taken out by Nighty Night. The group all run, scattering to the four corners. The kid with glasses also gets taken out. So they're all getting done over. All the while, Cage is on his break at this point. Punch and pinball, of course. Luckily for Liv, just before Nighty Night gets to her, Cage's break is over and he takes out Nighty Night. Cage, unfortunately, isn't able to save the others. Artie the Alligator managed to get the two teens who were getting sexy in the other room and Carrie Chameleon cornered one of the others. Not before he managed to call the Sheriff, though. The Sheriff and her partner head to Wonderland. She explains to the partner that Tex had to work with Willie giving him people to eat, or they would escape and destroy the whole town. The sheriff explains one couple who were killed by Willie left behind a daughter, Liv, and that was and that she was only going to Wonderland in order to save her. Back inside, Carrie kills one kid and is about to fight Liv. Cage then steps up until his alarm goes off on his watch. It's break time again. I really liked when he just handed Liv this switchblade and <laughs> fucked off to leave it to fight. <laughs> uh, he then goes for his punch and pinball. Liv manages to hold her own. That is until Cage gets back. The sheriff gets there and apologises to Willie for Cage's actions. They didn't know that he was a badass and he was going to kill them. She cuffs Cage and leaves him to die. She takes Liv away and tells the deputy to go and lock her up. Siren Sarah and Carrie Chameleon come to take a cuffed cage. He kicks the jukebox and squares up. It's like the coolest fucking scene ever. (laughs) Played out to a country and western version of head, shoulders, knees and toes. (laughs) um, Cage, I think, headbutts the siren at the start of this, as the start of the fight. And it got me like out of my seat. I was like, it was like one of those, oh, like when you see somebody like if you have, I don't know, like in the in the late noughties, early teens would buy like skateboarding videos where people would just fall over and hurt themselves. It was like that in the, it just was like, it looked so brutally violent. It was brilliant. It was really cool. Stu, did you enjoy this part? <laughs> I mean, I was watching it late at night. And I, I couldn't stop absolutely roaring with laughter. From, <laughs> as, as soon as she put the cuffs on and, and then, like you said, the, the jukebox kicking and I, I couldn't hold it in anymore. I mean, I'd been laughing throughout the whole thing anyway. And it's it's played for laughs and he plays it so straight, it's, it's untrue. Mm. And I just, I couldn't believe how much fun I was having with it. <laughs> it 
it's just like even like you said when the um the crocodiles are still, like silly things like has he always been there when he was staring at him with his weird eyes <laughs> before <laughs> before they slaughtered in the uh, in the sacrifice room and things like that and I thought well how's he gonna get out of these cuffs and then then you see that happen and you thought oh, just just wonderful yeah. In the cop car, Liv talks to the deputy. She tells him some home truths. The deputy stops the car, deciding that he's going to stand up for what is right instead. Unfortunately, Tito the turtle didn't get the message and he had hung on to the top of the cop car and attacked them, killing the deputy. Liv manages to get away and at the same time, Cage manages to take out both of the fembots. Just Cage and Willie left now. Not before break time. Punch and pinball. This scene has a wonderful use of music. When he's playing the pinball machine, it's got this mm-hmm. 80s infused dancey track that just builds up and builds up, and it's Willy's Wonderland theme. Like it's just perfect. And coupled with Cage's really awkward and unusual improvised dancing. I it was brilliant. I really like I don't know what it was, but I think it was the use of all the lighting and different colours that was flashing around at the same time. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was great. He was like sitting in an 80s acid trip, worry. I put down on my notes um, that this film had um, some really fantastic visual, stunning visuals that actually had no place belonging in a film like this. A film that is yeah. that it, that is quite throwaway popcorn, um, just violent. It, it had stunning visuals that really someone has put a lot of thought and time into that potentially you wouldn't you just wouldn't expect it. And I think that added with the audio, which we'll, which I'm sure we'll get onto when we when we talk about the film at the end, um, just made this really interesting spectacle. It almost became a like theatre-like production isn't what I what I mean here, but it it, it becomes a, a spectacle in of itself. It becomes almost like an artistic music video um, mm. than a film. Really nicely done, though. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll probably get onto this uh, on some other podcast, but I have found that Nick Cage, especially over maybe the last five or six years, he's got a lot of films that are just popcorn throwaways, and it's interspiced in spliced in all of those films every now and again he's got an art house film in him a, a bit like maybe colorator space mm-hmm. and this had elements of that in it and th- this is definitely not the kind of film i would have thought would have it no not at all. really interesting the lens flares and everything that were just dominated the screen at points really odd but interesting choices made by the uh, director of photography and mm-hmm. the director i thought it's tremendous so Cage is now back and an epic battle ensues, beating the weasel to death with a bag full of punch cans and a broom handle before ripping Willie's head off. Morning is here. The mechanic turns up with Cage's car. He hands the keys over to Tex. Tex goes to check on Cage, only to see that the restaurant is spotless. Cage had finished cleaning up, much to Tex's surprise. Cage takes the keys and as he gets in the car, Liv arrives just on time. She gets in the car with him and they ride off in the sunset together. And as his final welcome to the family gesture, he hands her a can of punch. Back at Willie's, Tex and the mechanic look on in astonishment. 
they're free of Willie and they may open the restaurant up again once more. They hadn't noticed that Siren Sarah had crawled out of the bin bags that Cage had put her in. She wasn't dead. She found the teenager's gasoline and Tex's discarded lighter. She explodes the car that they were sat in and she gets blown off screen. We don't know if she dies or not. And there's your film. A real simple, as I said at the beginning, an A to B tale that Mm -hmm. doesn't deviate. There's no subplots or anything. There's just this one story that runs all the way through. I've got to admit, I enjoyed it for it. So the budget on this film, only five and a half million. (laughs) Paltry. Like, yeah, I mean, when you think that Inconceivable last time out was a 10 million budget. Mm -hmm. And this was just over half of that. Uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Uh, the box office, I mean, it's only been a week and a bit since it's been released. So it's at over $200,000, which sounds low, but it's only really had a limited release in a few US cinemas. Mm-hmm. But this is going to make its money on streaming. Yeah, as, as uh, soon as this comes to Netflix or Amazon, it'll be number one all over the world easily because it's so, it, it's so ridiculous and word of mouth and... Things like this, and we will push it, and the other cage podcasts will push it, and it'll be it, this one will turn into a cult film, absolutely hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for comparison, though, when you look at the other films of twenty twenty one, I know we're only a few months in, but the top selling film is actually another Nick Cage movie, uh, The Crudes and New Age. And that one has made nearly fifty one million dollars. But I tell you what, before. Oh, sorry, Matt. No, I don't even think I was going to say is like Stu talking about Netflix and that. I've I've got to address the elephant in the room. For some strange reason, Next has been like trending for the last couple of weeks as like the number two film oh. in mm. the UK, and I I don't know how. I don't know what if the planets aligned in some way, or has something been on telly, <laughs> or something. How is Next all of a sudden generated this? popularity on netflix have people just ran out of stuff to watch is that where it's come to now and everybody has just all of a sudden fell upon it i don't know i just don't, i can't understand how it's happened it must be one of them things where it's a film that doesn't get any kind of exposure at all and rightly so um <laughs> and it's been so long since it's been it was in cinemas that people have just thought oh yeah i remember that that was from the, the glory days of Nicolas Cage, but we'll give that a try. And so many people have had the same thought, that that's why it's risen up to number one in the charts like it was two weeks ago. It could be that people have heard us talking about it and thought, oh yeah, I'll give that a chance. Well, our influence is long and reaching. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, so these scores on the doors, I'll tell you what, before I tell you the scores... Tell me what you think the scores are going to be. Stu, what do you uh, reckon? Rotten Tomatoes, audience, seven. Critics, five. Matt, what do you reckon? Uh, I reckon it's going to... I reckon the critics will be lower, like Stu records, but I reckon we're talking like about 85 for... Um, audience i reckon we're looking about 65 for critic 
Mm, okay. Uh, so I was coming in at around the 6.0 slash 60% mark. I thought it's, I consider this being quite divisive, to be perfectly honest. Um, not that I didn't enjoy it, but the genre of this film does generally tend to have people who either love it or people who hate it or just simply don't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so IMDb, the score was a 5.7. Uh, the Metacritic was a 42%. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 64% from the critics and a 78% from the audience. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of what we pretty much expected. Yeah, really. Yeah, thereabouts. Mm. So, obviously, it's a fresh film. It's over the 60% mark. So, it, it is fresh, which is something for this genre, I think. So, the critical responses, as you can guess, are pretty mixed. Kevin Mayer from The Times shockingly did not like this movie (laughs) he gave it a one out of five (laughs) saying nearly 90 minutes of wordless cage beating fluffy mascots whilst hard rock plays on the soundtrack it could be ironic commentary or art film stunt but it's mostly agony a big fuck you maya i mean like there's not even any hard rock on the soundtrack (laughs) it's 80 synth for fuck's sake i don't think you've seen this film Mark Kermode gave it a middling review, saying it is one gag, and for me that's a short film rather than a feature, which I think is kind of a fair thing to say. It is very much one plot, as we said. There's no subplot or any depth to it, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Owen Gleiberman from Variety, he said that Willy's Wonderland has the garish stop-and-go rhythm of an 80s slasher film, and I mean that as a compliment. And as a fan of 80s slashers, I am all on board for a Gleiberman's review there. Mm. Kate Sanchez from But Why Though and Jack Hawkins from Hey You Guys both praised Cage. Sanchez saying that he's just about the right amount of unhinged caged to get it right. And Hawkins said that the high concept silliness was kept afloat by Cage's knowing self-parody. Louisa Moore from Screen Zealots said a terrific premise, a badass hero, a throwback grindhouse sentiment. Check all of the boxes for a successful journey to becoming a midnight cult classic. But for me, the final words go to Empire magazine. Though the dialogue and plotting are no great shakes, the commitment to the concept combined with Cage's swaggering soda swigger is enough to make this a good time. I think that's perfectly put for me to be perfectly honest. Mm. I think in relation to saying it's one, was it one note or one? I can't remember mm. the phrase that was used. Um, w- one gag that was stretched throughout. See, I I think it's more than that. I think it plays on a lot of tropes that other that are, and plays homage to films that come before it, and I think it does that quite well. I mean. For example, you know, we always expect the sexy one to die first, or at least the couple that are <laughs> having sex to be killed first. And they, they do that, the, the lover, you know, the what's that archetypal role? The people that have sex are the first to die in a film. Whilst they weren't the first, they were mm. di- they die during doing exactly that. And there's, there's certain other things like the incestuous nature of like the town's residents and stuff like that who are involved with the plot. We've seen that loads of times before. Um, 
it, it, it harks back to things that we've already seen in film and and, do, and, it, and does it in like a friendly nod kind of way that we don't need to explore them any further because we're so familiar with those concepts anyway. They just fit in nicely. I think I, I, I think the film deserves a little bit more credit than that than that, than that review personally. Well, I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, the fan response is also a little bit mixed. Uh, MEP gave it one star saying, oh my God, that was the worst movie I have ever watched. <laughs> like, I mean, she's clearly not watched that many films if she thinks that. Uh, five Dead Kids, Killer Animatronics, Silent Protagonist, Overnight Stay. Really? The overuse of lens flares and effects didn't help. The animatronics were utterly crap for starters. Visual effects non-existent. I'm guaranteeing they could only afford Cage, but could not afford him to speak any lines. Ridiculous. <laughs> the storyline was weak. A dribbling knockoff of Five Nights at Freddy. The voice lines were so cringe, I almost turned inside out. She just really hated it. This... Uh, this entire film is a massive middle finger to Five Nights at Freddy's. I advise you to steer clear of this garbage fire. And they are upset they spent £6.99 to rent this piece of poo. I think that's a proper harsh review. <laughs> I'm guessing they, they must just be fans of Five Nights at Freddy and don't like the fact that this film is of a similar ilk to that. Yeah, mm. which is a free mobile game. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right. So... you. They're, they're angry that a, a proper film with him taking the role because he didn't want to speak, because he'd always wanted to do this. This is the one thing I knew about this beforehand, that mm. he'd always wanted to do a silent role, <laughs> not because they couldn't afford him to speak. That doesn't make any sense at all. No. But yeah. yeah, it's just an absurd review that was. Similarly, someone called Tarlin said, I understand what the director was trying to achieve, but the end result is a messy story with scenes that feel empty and characters that share the same level of emptiness. If you look, love Nick Cage's work, perhaps consider watching this, but it's certainly no blockbuster. I would really disagree that this is a messy story. It's a very simple story, but I would not say it's messy in the slightest. No. Well, the... The robots, they're not supposed to have character. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, no. they're, they're possessed by demons of serial killer and his weird friends, but they're still... There's no depth to it, though, is there? Yeah, they're still knackered old robots who've got <laughs> mechanical eyes. So what, what do you want? <laughs> it's. I think they're being... Either they're being incredibly harsh or we're giving it way too much credit, which I don't think we are because it, all three of us loved it. Yeah, and, and we're all very much on different levels when it comes to these type of things. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm a bit confused with that. Uh, Simon A was a fan, though. I've seen this movie four times now, and <laughs> each rewatch makes it more enjoyable. It definitely doesn't take itself seriously one bit and knows what it wants to be. It definitely succeeds at that for sure. The people giving this a low rating probably went in expecting a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece, but very much in its own way. It has amazing visuals, and most, if not all, of the animatronic characters are memorable, and sometimes even funny. Some of the acting from the teenagers isn't great, which I think is a fair, uh, fair criticism. But I'll let that slide because of Nick Cage. While not saying a single word, is a total badass. This movie caught most people's attention because Cage is in it, and I hope those people enjoyed the movie outside of Nicolas Cage as well. 
while not perfect, it is still a must-see and extremely enjoyable, especially with friends. And I think that that is it for me, that it, it is fun and it does feel like something that you can share with other people and have a laugh about. Yeah, it's one of the... It's one of the I've, I've come up with this term before. Um, it's what me and Goldie used to call a perfect kebab film, where <laughs> on, a, on a Saturday, <laughs> we did it a couple of times with Machete especially, and we it used to be... It started off, we used to come back from a ma- match on a Saturday, Saturday 3 o'clock, which is a miracle in itself. Um a few beers, get a kebab, get some cans, come back and watch Ultimate Force. And then that led on to watching silly films oh like my God. and things like this. <laughs> and this is that perfect kind of setup where after the pub, you go back, you have a few more a few more cans, watch a stupid film that knows exactly what it is and you enjoy it for what it is. It's like, like snakes on a plane. That's not that's not executive decision, is it? It, it knows what it is, <laughs> and it, it fully embraces it. So if you if you you're thinking that this is something that it's not, then the problems with you, no one else. Well, the <laughs> the interesting thing is, I I too have like a perfect kebab film, but it's often when I'm watching Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the good, the bad, and the crazy. Matt, start us off. My good, I think, potentially we're all going to have this, so tie it tied up nicely. Really, the audio only, not only through some of the songs that are being used um, and adaptations of them, like you mentioned about kind of heads, shoulders, knees, and toes are in there, and, and other mm. ones there. But it's 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 composition was just fantastic. It was really the '80s synth vibes were really prevalent in it, but not done in a way that was nostalgic like stranger things it was like it was brought mm. to the 21st century and brought to the 2021 really nicely it was haunting but not in a lazy making it like industrial metal like if blade goes into a nightclub and it's full of goths like it's <laughs> it, it was just really nicely done i think it worked really well and it was haunting enough that it give the um it give the stakes of what was going on in the film some um something to work with but it also didn't it also became part of the it was like a cool music video basically like i mentioned before with the visuals it was just Mm. very 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 it was like a sexy watch without any tits and fanny (laughs) i mean it was just like it was nice to look (laughs) it it was nice to look at um the bad and i've mentioned this in a few films really um at no point did was there any um, jeopardy or I just think that the, the animatronic things were so easy to kill and uh, there wasn't any danger. It was all, it was almost a bit too throwaway in that respect. It, it, mm. I don't think it paced itself fantastically when it came to like the fights and stuff. And I want this and I know a film with a budget like that, you know, you might hear the like 5 million and you think, well, that's fucking loads of money, but it's not, it's, it's not when it comes to making a film. I just think that like it felt a little rushed some of the fight scenes and Cage just punched punched him a few times in the head and that was it for something that you've got like groups of like threes and fours that are dying at the hands of these things but then one Nick Cage who's off his head on energy drinks can batter them just felt mm. a little I mean not that we should believe in that this is believable anyway but he just felt a little off the pacing was a little was a little slow on it it, it was unbelievable within its own world yeah 
Exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Get that. Um, and the crazy, really, well, the only crazy thing that I can say is, for some bizarre reason, Sam said, I'm going to watch this film with you, Matt. And um, <laughs> watched it. And now basically wants me to tell you off, Andy. Now you've met <laughs> me. Yeah, you've obviously you've met Sam, um, and uh, she very, speaks very highly of you. But at the moment, um, in her words, <laughs> wants to say "go fuck yourself," basically because she had to <laughs> she had to sit through that film, and she blames you um, when she was um, wanted to spend some nice relaxing time with me, and I had to put her through that. So that was my crazy this week. I mean, it could have been worse. You could have made us sit through Next or Knowing or Ghost Rider or... (laughs) Well, the the list is a long one, let's be honest. (laughs) Tell her I'm sorry. I will do. (laughs) Stu, what about yourself? I think, look, you just preempted the audio for the good. It was almost like if someone was like a massive fan of Erasure in the 80s, and that they were still into that kind of music now, and with having the same thing with a modern twist, which is what it was like. It wasn't like you said; it wasn't the the oh, let's just play eighties music for no reason. Um, yeah, music was great, visuals were great. The um, the puppets were exactly as you'd expect knackered old puppets to look like. Which, when you you try and age things up, sometimes it. You can tell it's just been made that way, if that makes any sense. You get, actually got the feeling that, yeah, they are, these are useless nonsense puppets. And and I thought, Cage, and I will come on to it later, I just thought it was great. And I thought he's not doing this kind of thing before, um, just from body language and he's, he's smouldering. <laughs> um, I thought he was superb. And the bad... The cat, the um, the teenagers. I just thought, well, it's no excuse to. I know there was no budget, but you could have got some better people than this. <laughs> some, and they were just. I know we talked about wooden actors before last week with uh, Paul, but dear, this was. Um, they could have just been extras who lived in the in the the town that they made the film in, and they just could have been. Oh well, do you want do you want a free kebab today? <laughs> <laughs> and paid them with that because they were and the believability I don't really care about that because it is what it is but they just they just were a level below everything else for me mm. um, and the crazy I mean how does he own that car? <laughs> oh, it's a nice car in it <laughs> well, he's, he's, yeah. he doesn't speak yeah he's got a weird drawn on beard which he's still not drawn on and he's just driving on his own, and he owns that car. Doesn't make any sense. Mm. I would like to know a bit of the backstory, because the only little bit of backstory we get when we first see him is that he's got some dog tags hanging in the car. So we're to assume that he's ex-Army or SAS or, or whatever. Um, I would quite like to know a little bit more about him. I did think, for it did cross my mind, is this like a spiritual successor to Ghost Rider? Easy Johnny Blaze, because there were little <laughs> <coughs> uh, towards the end when he was looking in the in the uh, mirror at the fire. I thought, hmm, because I know in the in the Ghost Rider series on um, in Agents of Shield, he did have a car in that one. And yeah, I know it's not the same character, but I thought, is this like a little nod too many? Um, 
but that was probably me wanting more than was actually in it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I think on your point about the teenagers, you could really tell the ones who are probably going to have a career in acting and the ones who will probably only do this film. There was one or two I thought were actually half-decent actors. I thought Liv was good, and I thought Kathy was good, and um, I can't remember one of the other the lads' names. Those, there was a couple who were okay. The kid with the glasses and the one who was killed by Nighty Night and by Carrie Chameleon were terrible. Like when the one kid had his neck snapped, he <laughs> he just sort of moved his head to the side. like It just looked really shitty, and I thought, okay, you are detracting a little bit from it because you're so poor. Um, but my bad is actually the trailer. Um, I, I enjoyed it when I watched it first time before the film, but in retrospect, it gives too much away. Like, the film doesn't have a lot of depth anyway. It's it's a main story. That's all it is. And because it's a B-movie, that that's perfectly fine. But the trailer tells you pretty much the whole story. That's quite disappointing. So I'd say anyone listening to this, don't listen, don't watch the trailer first. Um, my good though, again, the soundtrack, it's got some proper earworms in there. Like I have been walking around singing some of the songs from it. I think it's great. I've watched a few of the scenes again today, just, just the musical cues, the bit with head, shoulders, knees and toes, the um, six little chickens and, and that. I think it's really, really well done. And for a budget that it had, it had no right to be to look anywhere near as good as it did. So yeah, I tip my hat to the the whole crew on this. They did a fantastic job with what they got. The crazy uh, Kaylee Cowan, who pay, plays Kathy, she chewed eighty one pieces of chewing gum during <laughs> filming. <laughs> it was only filming for like a fortnight. So that was nearly six pieces of chewing gum a day she got through. It's ridiculous. So, did you enjoy this film? Uh, for me, yes, I did. Very much so. Matt? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't go into it expecting uh, the reinvention of the wheel or anything like that. But um, for what it was, it was a sub-90 minute violent romp that had humour and violence, had uh, a throwback to slasher films, 80s synth and other, like, other filmmaking cliches that we enjoy and and he did it really nicely and it's exactly what it says on the tin it's the ronston paint and seal or whatever it's called of like <laughs> it's um it's exactly what it needed to be i i enjoyed it yeah well am i going to rush back and like watch it again in two three weeks time like i probably will with peanut butter falcon for example no but i i, I did really enjoy it and then mm. it was um it was worth the watch yeah, I mean, I've watched it three times already in the last week and a bit. <laughs> uh, Stu, um, what did you think? Did you enjoy it? Obviously. <laughs> um, I, I do think, though, I, I wonder if people who didn't have these kind of parties will like it as much. Because there was a, a bit of a nostalgia trip for me because remember the wimpy parties with Mr. Wimpy there and um, mm. you had a few, a few McDonald's ones. Um, with hamburger and things like that. So I know it's very much based on Chuck E. Cheese, which we don't have here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think any... I, I know I've definitely got a couple of cousins who have never been to them parties who are younger than younger than us. Um, so 
from I don't know if their enjoyment will come from the nostalgia thing not being there for them. I don't know if it'll, it probably won't make a difference because it's nonsense anyway. It's just you just take it for what it is. But it did have an extra layer to me because there was oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there were people there were people in costumes that are not robots, but same difference. But yeah, I loved it. It was great fun. Cool. So based on this film and this film alone, what did we think of Silent Nicholas? Was he good? Was he bad? Matt? I I can't believe I'm going to say this about a film with zero dialogue, but I thought he was excellent. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought he was, you know, I don't understand his performance. I don't understand (laughs) why he played pinball and and drunk energy drinks and so like... I can only imagine his bowel movements must be horrendous. But um, I thought he was fantastic. And there were certain little things like when they're having sex and they're being killed by the alligator or crocodile or whatever it is, he's almost humping the pinball machine and doing this kind of crazed dance while he's mm. high, off, high off his tits on energy drinks. And I just think that, like, he knows this is a piss-take film. It's not to be taken seriously and he just does it really well like i think i think he was great you can tell that he was putting his heart into like the violent scenes and like he wasn't half arse in it when it comes to beating up these animatronic characters and in the same way like i think between this mom and dad and color out of space this has got to be one of my favorite periods of nicholas cage's career because i just Mm. think it's like he's got nothing else to prove as an actor people that hate him already hate him now People that love him already love him. He's got nothing else that he can do in terms of, like, you know what I mean? There's not much more of a career that he's got left to achieve. And he's just having fun with these roles, and that transcends out of the screen to the viewer. I think I think he was really good. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of helps now that he's, he's fully embracing and he's completely in on the joke. Mm. And to take things like this for, what, pittance in money that he I mean he could he could command a lot more money than this even now after some of his recent stuff yeah and he's all if it was his passion to do a silent film which he which is what it said then yeah he's done a silent role and he's done it fucking well and mm-hmm. i said it was one of my good points in the whole thing because of how well he, he did do it so yeah, I thought he was absolutely... It's probably... However mental this is, it's probably in my top five Nick Cage performances. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can't argue. I mean, the film probably won't go into my top five films overall, but like the performance was fantastic. He genuinely... He had no script to work with, so he had to give absolutely everything in his facial actions, his movements, and he did. You believed in his character without ever hearing him utter a word. That is such a difficult thing to do. It, it cannot be understated what a tremendous job he put in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, as Matt said, that like he's got nothing left to prove. He's won his Oscar. He made his money. Now he just needs to do films that interest him. Mm-hmm. And that's very much what you can see him doing in the likes of uh, Mandy and Colorator Space and this. You can see it's something that he's seen. He thinks, you know what, I want to do that. So I'm just going to give it my all and knock it out of the park. And that's exactly what he did with it. It's fantastic. Uh, There was one other review that I left out, but I do think it ties into this little segment. Uh, Mr. Lamprey said, it's one of those movies that's so absurd and terrible 
that you already know Nick Cage would be interested in it. <laughs> it's, it's camp, goofy, filled with cliches and everything you come to expect from a movie starring Nick Cage. So long as you're not looking to engage mentally with the plot or characters, it's a fun, brain-dead watch, and one can imagine viewers adopting their Nick Cage marathons. So my question is, is this film so bad it's good, or is this just a good B-movie? No, I feel like people it's... don't quite understand the difference. I don't. They don't understand that phrase. So bad, it's good. That for me is the room or money playing. It's a terrible movie made badly that you enjoy in spite of itself. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Exactly. The, yeah. Like this isn't that. No, it's not. Um, I can... If this is the only Nick Cage film you've ever seen, maybe I can understand it because you think, who's this fucking weirdo who just. Just, you know what I mean? Like, who doesn't have the capability to talk, so they let the so they made him be silent. But no, I mean, I, I think it's a film of many moving parts that come together really well, and it's not it's not just a slasher. Let's kill everybody um, and 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 glorify gore in it. There's more going on to it than that. Um, don't get me wrong; it's not. It's not Inception, but it's 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 certainly not a bad film. That's so bad, it's good. It's personally that's missed the mark for me. Mm, same here, Stu. What about yourself? Is it so bad it's good, or is it just good? It's just it knows what it is, so it can't be too, that bad that it's good. If it if it didn't know what it was, it wouldn't be this good because it it's it's done extremely well to look as ridiculous as it is. Mm. It's not a bad film. It's a B film. I think this is B movie's gonna be lost to a lot of people because we haven't really there isn't really that kind of genre left, is there really? It's like a you it's all everything on the internet now it's either excellent or shit. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to contemplate watching a four out of ten and thinking it's a good experience, some people ain't gonna understand that anymore. So I think it's it's a lost art and bringing back the B-movie, and this is exactly what a B-movie is. And like I said earlier, Snakes on a Plane was probably the last big one that I can think of that knew what it was and mm. had fun with it. This is not that, because that had a massive budget compared to this, but it's a, it's a really, really good B-movie. That's what it is. Mm. I think B-movies, they need to take the source material like perfectly seriously. They can't be in on the joke. That is where Sharknado 2, 3, etc. Mm. went wrong. The first Sharknado, Snakes on a Plane, this. They had their script and they they gave it their all. They treated it like it was gospel. And that's what works in B-movies. If you are in on the joke, making knowing jokes about yourself, I think that's where it falls down. And this film didn't do that for me. So the final part is, I want you to finish this sentence. If you enjoyed Willy's Wonderland, you might also like. Uh, my pick isn't a single film. It's actually a series and reboot of films. Um, there's only one title for me that it could be, and it's got to be Child's Play. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that's why I went first, because I knew one of you fuckers <laughs> was going to have it. <laughs> yeah, Child's Play. Um, obviously, the story is Charles Lee Ray puts his soul into that of a doll that then goes to kill people. I'm sure you will know about this film. It has had 
good press, bad press, all of the different kinds of press in between. The original three I thought were fantastically good fun. They were horror. They were proper horrors that had elements of comedy to it. Then you moved on to like Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky. That was probably more comedy than anything. And then, of course, we had the reboot movie that came out in, I want to say, 2018 uh, with Mark Hamill voicing Chucky. Again, really good film. Really enjoyed that. And that's available on Netflix. And they are also doing a TV series. I think it's going to be called Chucky um, about the original doll. So it's going to be set, I presume, after Seed of Chucky and all that. So I'm quite looking forward to it. But, yep, if you like this, check out Child's Play. Matt? Finish the sentence, please. If you liked uh, Willy's Wonderland, you also might like... I'm not sure if that is a sentence, sorry. <laughs> you might also <laughs> like uh, Machete. So I mentioned it before. Um, very much a uh, man of few words. Though he does have dialogue. Man of few words, violent film that doesn't take itself seriously and harks back to a golden age of um, B-movie filmmaking Um which is very much tongue-in-cheek and doesn't take itself very seriously and I think might even break the fourth wall at times. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a very fun um, film that like takes the piss out of itself by any time Machete's having sexy time will put in bassy porn music. It's just like <laughs> a way of just taking the piss out of itself. It's just really fun and... Um, it, it has like a list cast in it as well, which is always nice to see. Who again take the piss out of themselves and and put in a performance that you wouldn't necessarily see them do in other films. Um, and it's it's just a very good film. Have you seen the sequel, uh, Machete Kills? I have. It's not fantastic in comparison, but it's it's serv- serviceable. Is the phrase I'd use. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Stu, finish the sentence. I'll have to go to my backup um, because you've just stolen it. Um, <laughs> again, it's an, another one that it's a dying art form doesn't take itself too seriously. Also, in also is based and hundred percent through puppetry, and that is Team America: World Police. Very, <laughs> very silly, very in on the gag. Again, you don't see many of them, if any at all. Of, the, of that kind of film made now, yeah, and yeah, if, there can't be anyone left alive. I mean, it's probably more relevant now than ever. But if there's, <laughs> there's anyone left in the world who hasn't seen it, go and watch it now because that film is superb. Yeah, it's a cracking choice. That is, to be fair, uh, my I did have an honourable mention. I thought of the Running Man. I know we mentioned it on last week's pod as well. Um, it's just the idea of someone having to take on the different effectively um, level bosses mm. sort of has that computer game. So I thought the running man would have been a, another choice that fits into that world a little bit. So that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this film or any of the others we've discussed, drop us an email, send us an MP3. Let us know your thoughts. Cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. Uh, If you're listening to us now, please make sure you've hit that subscribe button. And if you can share what we do with your friends, we would absolutely love that. Uh, Finally, thank you for giving us your time once more. We are eternally grateful. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye?
Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, and remember, he's not trapped in there with them. They're trapped in here with him. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, it's your birthday (laughs) and we want you to have fun. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) 